Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson.
season is we look at the build-up. Because if you look at the Old Testament, from the garden, Adam and Eve sinned, and they blame each other, and they blame God, and God's part of his curse is a curse against the snake, that he will wound somebody and somebody will crush his head. We all say, ah, that's the first statement of Jesus Christ who's coming way later. And then you look throughout the whole Old Testament, mostly in the minor prophets, you see uh, things are going bad. Things are, people are rebelling. The Jews are worshiping idols and, and various things like that. And the minor prophets specifically will end with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has two parts to it back in the Old Testament. The first was the first coming of Jesus Christ, and then the second coming of Jesus Christ will be when everything is set right. Jesus Christ came the first time to tell us what is right, and to give us a direction, and to save people, but things will not be set right until he comes again a second time. And so as a theme, when we talk about hope, when we talk about Christian hope, our hope is not a guess. Our hope is not a random thing about something, you know, winning the lottery or something. We can read through the Bible, and we can read the stories, and we can read the letters, and we know that Jesus Christ is coming again. And his, if you want the first level of proof that Jesus Christ is coming again, is that he came the first time, and he told us that he's coming again, and that that is our future hope. And so we say it is a sure hope, we say that it is a guaranteed hope, we say that I can look to the future, I can know in very general and some specific terms about exactly what the future is going to be, and I can focus at it, and I can look at it, and because it is a future look, it is my hope. My hope is Jesus Christ, my hope is that he is returning again, my hope is that I am saved by him, and that he will set everything right when he comes. And so in the New Testament, after Jesus Christ came the first time, they take hope and the idea of hope and say, so if you have this hope, there needs to be qualifications to it. You need to have a certain oath in your life. You need to have a certain direction. If you say, yes, I have the hope, my hope is in Christ then there needs to be something about that. And so hope in the New Testament is not so much future looking as daily living. It is because Jesus Christ is coming again, and because we know that he's coming again, and he's coming for those who have been saved, I can live a way that's different than somebody who has no hope. Someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ or believes the whole Bible is hooey or something of this nature. I have a confidence in this truth, and so I will live differently than an average person on the street. Grab 10 people off the street, you should be able to, by their words and actions, determine who the Christians are, assuming that you grab a Christian in that group of 10. And so in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness 
and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own passion who are zealous for good works. And so we talk about the hope of Christmas. Looking at this passage and the rest of the 153 statements about hope, we understand that if you have a hope, and your hope is in God or whatever your hope is in, the conditions that precede that hope, that statement of hope, have to seem impossible. Hope is not something that is normal. Hope is not something that I'm just going to, you know, I hope that it will hit 12 o'clock in about 24 minutes, okay? That's not a hope, okay? That is just how the world is working. If I'm pulling a hope into this, there has to be something that I can't fix. There has to be something that doesn't seem normal. There has to be something that seems impossible. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, if you look at the book of Malachi, the Jewish people were in a world of hurt. They had come out of captivity. They are trying to keep from going back into captivity. They realize that they dropped the ball and sinned, and God took them out of the land for 70 years, and he brought them back. And you have the story of Ezra and Nehemiah talking about the coming back. Then you have Malachi, which people say is years after they've been back, and they're beginning to do things on their own. They are beginning to say, well, I think this is how God wants to be praised. I think this is how God wants to be treated. And so they don't pay their tithes, and they don't take care of their elders, and they don't go to the synagogue, and they just don't do all the stuff that has been talked about in the rest of the Old Testament. And Malachi, at the end of his book, looks toward a day when I won't be able to go up to you and say, let me tell you about the Lord, because you'll know about the Lord. When Jesus Christ comes back, we're all going to get it. We're all going to know it. We're all going to see it. We're all going to understand it. He will write his law on our hearts, and it will seem the most natural thing in the world. Now, if you're living today, or back in Malachi's time, you look around and you say, that ain't going to happen. It doesn't seem to be moving in that direction. People seem to be erasing the word of God from everywhere, let alone writing on their hearts. It is an anti-God movement in all that is going on, in all that people are doing. And so we say, for God to come back, for Jesus Christ to return, that's impossible. And if you try to talk to people today and say, well, you got to be saved because Jesus Christ is coming back, well, at that point you've lost them because, you know, everything is just going to happen like it's going to happen. Christ is not going to come back and change it. And so when we look at what Jesus Christ did the first time he came, he died on a cross of one man's blood. 
brought atonement for you, forgiveness for you, adoption for you, propitiation for God's wrath, everything redemption, you were bought from the clutches of sin. And if you were to talk somebody in Malachi's day and say, yeah, here's a list of all the stuff that is going to happen. It's going to happen when somebody, when God's son dies. They're going to think, you're nutso. You're crazy. God doesn't work that way. But he does. And so our hope in Jesus for a second coming is for an impossible task to come true. It is for a task that seems like it will never happen. There are some people who are very impatient for the second coming, that it will never happen, but it will. There are in this country, in this world, I mean, 197 countries in the United Nations. And they have tried for, well, since Woodrow Wilson started the League of Nations, they have thought that if they can get them all in the same room and they can talk, that there will be no wars, that we won't hate each other, that we'll all hold hands as 200 countries and sing kumbaya. And everything they do, every plan they come up with, causes more and more conflict, causes more and more misunderstanding. And what that shows is human beings creating a paradise, human beings creating a utopia, human beings creating a calm and peaceful place to live is never going to happen. We don't have that ability in us. And every time you have a dictator like China or North Korea come to power, people are just baffled as to how this can happen in our modern enlightened age, but people do not change. And so, looking at it, it seems there is no fix. And so our hope is in the second coming of Jesus Christ. The impossible situations that you then find yourself divides the world. It purifies those who are true believers. And it lets those who are not it basically gives them enough rope to hang themselves. That as God is making the world more and more, he's taking his restraints off it, I guess is the best way to say it. He's, we still have common grace, but he's removing the big grace that is allowing us to live peaceably together. And more and more people are fighting, and more and more people are killing, and crime is up, and... You just let people go, and they won't love their neighbor as themselves. That isn't how the human body works. And so we have uh, a, a purification, if you will. I, I've listened to some pastors who say with COVID and all that we're going through that it is a culling of the churches. It is an opportunity for people who are just, ah, Sunday Christians or just go there because their friends go there, it now becomes too difficult because of COVID that they stop going to church and the people who remain 
We can have a confidence. We can have a belief and an understanding that we truly are saved. Not that we're better than anybody else. Nobody is better than anybody else. We are just the ones that God has chosen to come through this COVID thing and come through till he comes again. There will be a group of people left. Some people have said, there'll be no Christians left. Some people have said, uh, human race is going to die. There will be people left on the planet when Jesus Christ returns. He will not allow us to kill ourselves off totally and completely. There will be people left to judge, and there will be people left to rapture into the great wedding feast. And then you will have the two resurrections, and the resurrections of the saved, and the resurrections of the damned, and there will be people, there will be people to see this, there will be people to experience this for either good or ill. If you turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter, Titus, Laban, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3, starting in 13, it says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you. Let Yet do it with graciousness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, Peter saw a day coming, he probably saw it in his day, and we have it exemplified greatly, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is your crime, that they will invent all manner of slander and all manner of difficulty against you because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, even though in your mind, and you really haven't done anything wrong, that doesn't matter to the world, the thing you did wrong was believing in Jesus Christ and identifying with Jesus Christ. We need to live lives in which people notice our hope. We need to live lives in which our hope is something that they ask about. And Peter is saying, when times get difficult, when times are problematic, when we are in a difficult situation with a non-Christian, they will see a difference in us, and they will ask, why? And then we get to talk about it, and then we get to possibly explain Jesus to them. The third thing is that what hope does for us, it is a promise that keeps us going. Why do I preach Christ? Why do I think to the future? Why do I keep going in this thing we're doing called church? It is because the hope gives me perseverance. I know basically what the future, far future is going to be. I know what God has promised. I know that at least I'll be in the wedding feast and not the lake of fire. So from that, good enough. 
the, the goodness of the future, the blessings of God in the future, is my hope and what keeps me going day after day after day after day, month after month, year after year. I don't see the world changing. I don't see people lining up at the door to come to church. I just keep doing what God has called me to do. And you need to keep doing what God has called you to do. I heard a talk the other day saying that we reserve calls for pastors. And the Bible is clear that everybody is called to at least good works of faith. That we, when you are a Christian, God calls you in a certain direction. And if you continue in that direction, focused on the hope of God, then people may notice it. And if they notice it, you can explain Jesus to them. Number four is the hope's goal is always to glorify God. When he gives us a hope in Christ, it is not so that he will glorify us. It is so he will glorify himself. How does he glorify himself? He glorifies himself because all the statements about the day of the Lord in the Old Testament will come true. All the statements about the second coming in the New Testament will come true. We will be able to, if you want, stand there with your Bible. And as Jesus Christ is coming back, check it off, 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 check it off. Every single promise about the second coming and the future world will come true precisely and exactly. God does not guess. And so our hope is that God will come again. And when he comes again, we will be with him and he will be glorified. I don't deserve any glory in in all this is going on as I pray every day. I pray for God to work through me. I bring nothing to the party. I bring nothing to this. It is all God. And so praise Him for saving me, for working through me, and for coming again to bring us into eternity. And then lastly, hope is always future-oriented, and that may seem obvious, but to have a hope is to have something that hasn't happened yet. And so when we believe in Jesus Christ's second coming, that is our hope. And you say, well, duh, I mean, that's obvious he hasn't come again. Paul wrote against two people, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Book of Acts, you can find them, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. He called them out by name because they were pastors in a church. And they got up and said, the resurrection and the second coming has already happened and you missed it. And he was destroying the faith of the people because they wondered what they were believing in. If Jesus Christ already came a second time and they were left behind 2,000 years ago. There are people today who say Christ has already come. Your Jehovah's Witnesses say Christ has already come. There are people who say that Christ is not going to come, that it is just going to keep going like this, and this will turn into heaven, and all these bizarre views. That is not hope. 
That is strange thinking. But if you have hope, it is for a specific future event that is going to happen, and that is going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you won't miss it. I guarantee when Christ comes again, you, it will not be something that only happens in a little Middle Eastern section. You, everybody will know it. Everybody will see it. And it will be the end of all that we know. So how do you build this hope? Because I want this hope. First, you need to know Christ. Second, you need to read your Bible. Do a word study on the word hope. It's only 153 times. You can look it up. Look up all 153. See how it's used. And say, so you have that kind of hope. You need to read and reread the Gospels. Since our hope is in Jesus Christ, the Gospels are the story of his life. And what he said about his second coming, and what he said about how to live, and what he said about how to believe. We need to get to know God the Father who sent God the Son. I don't think this church gets off track, but I think some churches get off track of really focusing on God the Father, or really focusing on Jesus Christ. I am a Christian, but Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Who's God? Why did he send him? What's God going to do in the future? Read Revelation. See what God's doing. God the Father's doing stuff. Jesus Christ is doing stuff. They're all doing stuff at the end of time. And we can know that and we can say, that's my hope. That that is going to happen. And so we can be people who are grateful to God, who are understanding that God has put us here to love him and to love one another. And the more that we do that, the more we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and God the Father, the more our hope will grow so that it will become unshakable, so that it will become a sure hope. That is what the New Testament calls it. Sure, S-U-R-E, sure, guaranteed. Uh, on the mark, not gonna change. My hope is has been the same Ever since I got saved a long time ago, it's been in the same Jesus, it's been in the same second coming. My hope doesn't move around. My hope has always been in what God is going to do in the future. And my hope is that I am included in that, which if I read scripture properly, I will be. And you will be. And everybody who believes in Jesus Christ will be on the proper side of the resurrection, as it were. And so we are grateful, hopeful people until Jesus Christ comes again. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise you for this day. We praise you that you are coming again. And in coming again, we can know that we will be with you for all eternity. One day, our hope will end see you face to face, but until then, we are a hopeful, grateful, thankful people until you come. And so we ask all this through the blood of Christ and your blessing on the remainder of the day. We ask all this to the glory of God. Amen.
Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.